The following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2008 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. The message this morning is the Holy Spirit in prophecy. And you probably, it's highly likely that you have never heard a message on the Holy Spirit in prophecy because basically there have been such little attention given to the Holy Spirit in prophecy. And, um, and, that, and that's for a number of reasons. Um, in, in seminaries and Bible schools around the country, um, very, very little attention. And I would say it's born out of the fact that the classic works of theology by believers, you know, over the years and over the centuries, uh, gave almost no attention uh, to prophecy, uh, let alone the Holy Spirit in prophecy. And so it is born out of the fact, the whole idea that um, 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 with galloping replacement theology in which uh, the future is not defined in the terms that the Bible defines the future. And so if the future is not defined around these great prophetic events that the Bible uh, speaks of, and if, if churches are not teaching this, then of course they're not teaching about the role of the Holy Spirit in these events. And so we would like to do that uh, this morning. The basic scenario uh, that's being taught in many areas, and I, and I mean even beyond the Church of Rome and beyond mainline Protestantism, even into areas of what is broadly called the Evangelical Christian Church. In many of those areas, the basic scenario for the future is this. Things will go on just like they are today, and Jesus will come. I mean, even if they believe Jesus will come, you know, that, that's good. But things will go on just like it is today, and then Jesus will come. And that, you know, it's just plain wrong because the Bible gives us such clear teaching on um, basic major events of the prophetic word that, in fact, are yet future. And those key prophetic events are three that I would like to um, consider this morning relative to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the first event is uh, the rapture of the Church of Christ in which Christ will return, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, not to the earth, but to, to meet believers in the air, to rapture the church, to catch up all the believers of the church age, the dead in Christ, and the believing, living church of Jesus Christ. And, um, and that's the rapture. After that, sometime after that, could be a space of some time in, in between there, probably a short space, but we'll begin a seven-year period, period of unprecedented trouble known as a tribulation. So that's a, the second great event of God's prophetic word as we look forward. First the rapture, then the tribulation, and then thirdly, the millennium, which is when Christ comes, returns to the earth to set up his 1,000-year uh, rule and reign here on, on earth. So that's uh, the third major event. And in the midst of these three major future prophetic events the, uh, about which uh, the world does not believe, and uh, even some in evangelical Christianity have given this little or no attention or believe other things. 
uh, in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit, in fact, is active and he's fulfilling a ministry. And we want to look at that ministry uh, today because it is different than the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we know today in the church age. His ministry going forward is different. And we'll see some of those differences. And so, first of all, then, in your uh, study guide, uh, the Holy Spirit at the rapture. Uh, we need to turn there, I think, to the key and important text, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. And when we talk about the rapture, when we talk about the tribulation, talk about the millennium, um, speaker after speaker will be uh, bringing forth biblical truth about these uh, uh, truths, about these uh, future events. First of all, the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who had died in this age, the church age. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, if we're alive at the rapture, uh, we don't go first. <laughs> those who are in the grave will go first and be raptured. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is yet future, obviously, and what's also happening here at the rapture is the church is completed the last person to be saved as a member of the church of Jesus Christ will happen, the rapture will occur, the church will be complete, and it will be removed from the earth. Several things are going on here with the Holy Spirit at the rapture. First of all, the ministry of the Holy Spirit today of spirit baptism will, in fact, end. Now, there's water baptism in Scripture, and there is spirit baptism in Scripture. And water baptism is when we make that choice, a free will choice, to follow the Lord as in a testimonial observance commanded by Scripture, water baptism. Okay, Water baptism, believer's baptism, but it's a choice that we make and hopefully all of us have made that choice, following the Lord in water baptism if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Spirit baptism, though, is not a choice. It's what occurs at the time a person is saved through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whereby the Holy Spirit baptizes or places that person within what is known as the Church of Jesus Christ. Spirit baptism, the Holy Spirit baptizes or places the believer at the moment of salvation into the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, in John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, I tell you a truth, 
it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And then in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days uh, from here, not many days hence. And so the Holy Spirit did come at Pentecost, not many days hence. And believers were first baptized or placed positionally into the church of Jesus Christ by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, his baptizing ministry. Now, at the rapture of the church of Christ, that baptizing ministry will end because the church will be complete. There will be no one further to be placed into the church of this age, baptized into that body. So, at the rapture of the church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, will end because the church age is ended. Something else happens uh, at the rapture, and it relates to a text that we, were f- we are frequently questioned about when we have our question and answer sessions in our days in the prophetic word around the country. And the text is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at uh, verse 6. And something is going on here that is as well related to the rapture of the church and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'll begin reading at verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And um, it reads this way, And now you know what is restraining. What is restraining is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That he, now the he here is not the Holy Spirit, that he may be revealed in his own time. The he that may be revealed in his own time is the Antichrist. Okay? And verse 7 then, for the mystery of lawlessness, the he of verse 6, the lawless one, the Antichrist, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he, capital he for Holy Spirit, who now restrains... Holy Spirit's restraining ministry, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Okay? Verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So here in this text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is teaching about future events. He's talking here about the rapture. He's talking about the Lord's judgment. He's talking about the coming Antichrist. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And he explains that the one who is now restraining, the restrainer, the one who has the ministry of restraint, the Holy Spirit, will be taken out of the way. Uh, Holy Spirit is the restrainer. When will his restraining ministry be ended? In that sense, it will be at the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. And so his removal, quote, removal of the Holy Spirit, 
is in direct connection to his specific ministry of being the restrainer, uh, the restraining one, uh, acting in restraint of, of sin. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit that began at Pentecost that ends when the church is complete and the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ occurs. The church is removed. Believers are gone. And his restraining ministry, which is operative through the church and through believers, is gone as well as believers are removed from the world. Now, that's a proper way uh, to look at what is being removed. It's the restraining ministry of uh, the, the Holy Spirit. And, and note something in verses, uh, the end of verse 7. Um, he who now restrains will do so till he's taken out of the way, till his restraining ministry is moved, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Many times uh, we have uh, gotten questions like, uh, do you think, uh, you know, so-and-so is the Antichrist? Do you think uh, Gorbachev, there's a wound, you know, and, 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 and these different things. And I think it's, it's not ungodly to make these kind of speculations, but I do think it's unprofitable because the text here makes it real clear when the lawless one will, will be revealed. When the Antichrist will be revealed is when, in fact, uh, the, um, the Holy Spirit is first and his restraining ministry is first taken out of the way. So it is after the rapture of the church that the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And I think that's a proper way for us to look at that. But moving along, not only does, do things happen related to the ministry of the Holy Spirit at, at the rapture as his ministry of baptism is ended and his restraining ministry is taken away. But the Holy Spirit is active during the tribulation as well. And I think that the real key to understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation is for us to look back to the Old Testament and review the Holy Spirit's ministry in the, whole, in the Old Testament because I think it bears certain of the same characteristics as we look forward to the tribulation. And um, what, therefore, was in fact the Holy Spirit active in the Old Testament? Yes, very definitely, very active in the Old Testament. In a different way, but very active in the Old Testament. For example, we see very specific ways that he moved in Old Testament times. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 2, for example, and the Spirit of God was over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit, yes, was active in creation. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, also another reference to his activity in creation. The Spirit of the Lord in Isaiah 40 is related to God's creative works in bringing about uh, what we have and what we see. And then in Job chapter 26, verse 17, it says, By his spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, he adorned the heavens. And so there it is in terms of the Holy Spirit's ministry, very, very active relative to creation, and then you have, throughout the Old Testament, selective ways that the Holy Spirit uh, performed his ministry. And, and, and 
yes, selective indwellings. For example, uh, Joseph, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, Pharaoh said of Joseph, can we find such a one as this man in whom is the Spirit of God? And at various points in the Old Testament, you find selective cases in which believers were indwelt. Not the general indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit that all believers experience today, but selectively. Also, for example, in Joshua, in his life, in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so we have these cases in Old Testament times of selective indwellings of individuals. And then we have a number of places in in the Old Testament where the scriptures indicate that the Holy Spirit came upon a certain person for for a specific reason, a specific purpose. Um, For example, in Judges chapter uh, 3, he came upon uh, a a particular judge, Judge Othniel, to to, uh, empower him. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 10, uh, he came uh, upon, as the text says, came upon Saul. And, and frankly, I find Judges chapter 14, uh, verse 6, very interesting because now we're talking about Samson, and that's Judges chapter 14, verse 6. And this is interesting. With Samson, he, he's out in the vineyards, and, and to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Bad scene. Bad situation. Verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, no weapons. And so we have a very specific and interesting case in which the Holy Spirit came upon, in this case Samson, to empower him to do Uh, to overcome that situation uh, where he was actually being attacked by a lion. And then in uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, uh, David, then uh, Samuel took uh, the horn of iron, um, excuse me, the horn of oil, and anointed him, David, and the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so a number of illustrations in the Old Testament of people having been uh, come upon by the Holy Spirit. And the bottom line is this on that, that the, um, the nature of uh, the Holy Spirit's ministry in Old Testament times was uh, temporary, mostly, uh, specific, uh, from, from over here and, and over there and not a general indwelling ministry as in the church of Jesus Christ today, but uh, there were specific um, and, and many, really, instances recorded in the Old Testament. And I think that, is, that it is that Old Testament pattern that gives us the clue as to how the Holy Spirit will be operative during the tribulation period. But first of all, we note that during the tribulation that people will be saved. People will be saved. Will they come to faith in Christ? Absolutely. Uh, Will it be difficult? It will be horrible. There will be many martyrs for Jesus Christ during the tribulation. But people will be saved. 
For example, uh, Revelation chapter 7, who are, in verse 4, who are these people who are saved? And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Jewish witnesses of the Lord during the tribulation will be saved. People will be saved. Not only Jewish people will be saved. Revelation 7, uh, verse 9. And uh, after these things I look and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Where are they? Are they out of the nations? Are the Gentiles? So many Gentile uh, believers as well. And, and though there's no specific in these two texts a reference to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I think that it only makes sense that given the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit and the nature of, of his ministry, convict, conviction, uh, pointing people to the gospel, urging them to faith in Christ, I think it only makes sense that uh, there would be um, a, an active ministry in the salvation of people in the tribulation through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not specifically mentioned in these two cases, but we're going to go on. Another thing happens during the tribulation is that believers will be empowered. For example, the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. Um, they're uh, prophesying, they're preaching, they're speaking, they're stirring up the world. The world hates them. Three and a half years, the Antichrist steps in. He slays them, and the people of the world rejoice over the death of the two witnesses. And then just days later, the life that God breathes into those bodies, their resurrection, and the world trembles. The world trembles. Believers will be empowered during the tribulation. The 144,000 undoubtedly will be empowered. John Walvoord, in his book on the Holy Spirit, said this, quote, the power to bear witness has ever been the result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we go on still because there's Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter 2. And um, it's an important one. It's also quoted by Peter at Pentecost. But it's worthwhile for us to read it because the Holy Spirit is so active here in Joel's prophecy. And so it's Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, in those days. And going on in verse 30, and I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth and blood and fire and pillars of smoke and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And so some have said, oh, Joel's prophecy, quoted by Peter at Pentecost, was, uh, was fulfilled at Pentecost. But it really wasn't, because the dramatic events 
that verse 29 talks about in those days, what days? In the days, verse 30 and on, where all these events are happening in the earth and in the heavens. That have, they have not happened. So this prophecy really is awaiting fulfillment when, I believe, at, during the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, God pouring out his spirit, God saving people. We'll see how that correlates uh, with other things. Um, but going on, beyond Joel's prophecy, and on page two here, if you are there, um, Israel will be saved. Now remember, how do people enter the tribulation period? They only enter the tribulation period if they are unsaved. Saved people have been removed at the rapture of the church. So they only enter unsaved. Completely different in terms of God's kingdom later, the end of the tribulation. Because, um, and of course, how will Israel enter uh, the tribulation period? Israel will enter unsaved as well. And some of the first fruits of the salvation of Israel will be the salvation of the 144,000. And then uh, later on the tribulation, Israel will be saved, comes into the tribulation unsaved, exits saved. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, beginning at verse 8, is a really key text here. That's Zechariah 12. And by the way, yes, Israel, Gentiles, everyone will experience tremendous judgment of the Lord. Not only is the tribulation rampant evil and the consequences of it, from beginning to end, it is the wrath of God. Tremendous things happening. But um, here in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8, in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. Now we're at the end of the tribulation. And I will pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of grace and supplication, they will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Two-thirds of the Jewish people will die during the tribulation period. One-third will come out of the tribulation uh, as believers, uh, will come out as saved people. But isn't it interesting, their salvation right here in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, is very connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, in fact, will be active during the tribulation period. But I think there's more. I think John chapter 3 uh, is, uh, is really important to us as we uh, summarize his work in the tribulation. In John chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man 
be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, physical birth, and of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's ministry, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That has definite and direct application as well to the people in the tribulation period. And we see the Spirit of God at work saving Israel there at the uh, end of the tribulation. And I believe we see the Spirit of God saving those Gentiles also who place their faith in Jesus Christ uh, at that time. So that, in fact, when we get to the millennium, who is it then that enters the millennium? Only unsaved people entered the tribulation. Only saved people enter the millennium. And, uh, and that takes us to the last section of the Holy Spirit in the millennium. And it's just a fascinating text in Isaiah chapter 11 where Jesus Christ's righteous rule of the millennium is very connected to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is a um, kingdom passage, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, upon Jesus, upon Messiah. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of knowledge and might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So, so here all these ministries of the Holy Spirit are very, very connected to Jesus Christ's righteous rule during the millennium. And then in Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, verse 14, is a, is a key verse here as we see uh, what? That's uh, verse, verse, chapter 37 of Ezekiel, verse 14, I will put my spirit, my Holy Spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in, in your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord, and I've spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. And so here we have believers of, uh, who, are, who are brought into the millennium as saved people who are literally indwelt by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we move from uh, the specific, we move from the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit during the church age to the specific ministries of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation to the general indwelling ministry of uh, the Holy Spirit during the millennium as uh, people are in the land, uh, in Christ, um, um, experiencing the full benefits of, uh, of the new uh, covenant. Well, there are unbelievers during the millennium as well. Um, remember, people come into the millennium only by being believers, but time passes. Others are born. Others who may on the surface um, look like, seem like they accept the righteous rule of Jesus Christ, but who later proves at the end of the millennium uh, to be uh, rebellious and they really aren't there at all. And so uh, uh, unbelievers will, will be alive and their, their salvation uh, will need to be by willing faith in Jesus Christ, just like... Uh, Salvation of any people by willing faith and belief in Jesus Christ. The focus of the millennium is very, very Jewish. And the um, Ezekiel temple texts in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 27 and 28, I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them, then you shall dwell in the land I will give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Tremendous blessing, a tremendous future, a very, very Jewish focus in the future for all peoples of the world, Jewish or Gentile alike. Well, in, uh, in thinking about all of this, the Holy Spirit, in fact, and I hope you've seen that this morning, does have an important role in the great prophetic events of the future, whether it be in the rapture where things change regarding how he works, some things will cease in terms of his, his baptizing work, in terms of his restraining ministry, his specific ministries during the tribulation, and then his profoundly important ministry, actually indwelling believers, and, uh, and um, there in the millennium. However, we are now living sometime prior to all of these events. And we don't know how prior although the way things are shaping up in the world and some of the powers that we see developing and redeveloping, we have reason to think we may be very close to the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. But we don't know that. Uh, We think that that may be true. Um, We are in the church age. And uh, at this time, the Holy Spirit has been given to us for some very, very important reasons. Um, It's through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that we understood the gospel, we will apply it to our lives and experience the salvation that is available to us through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And it's through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we've been wonderfully placed into the body of Christ, the body of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and we're part of that, hopefully part of that, an active part of that restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit in this age. And it's by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in all the lives of believers that we have the hope and we can dwell upon his his power to live a righteous life. And it's through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit today that we've been gifted for service and we should really be doing that and serving him. So it's really wonderful that this morning that we can study these uh, great events of prophecy. We want them to guide us uh, to holy living, that's for sure. But while we live in the knowledge of these prophetic events and the ministry of the Holy Spirit through them, we want to live today in the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us effective for God's purposes on this earth today.